everybody, and welcome to the first episode of As the Pen Turns, your local, regional, global pen-making, pen-turning podcast. My name is Brad. I am the owner and maker over at Mythic Pens, and I have my co-host here. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I am Jason. I'm with uh, Jason Neal Penworks, owner and maker there. I think, Jason, I think we're the newest or one of the newest podcasts in the pen-making world, right? I think so. Definitely from this perspective, I think we're the only one. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've searched and searched and searched to find something similar, but we haven't yet. So uh, we're going to talk about a little first off about what we're actually going to be doing, why we have the podcast. So mm-hmm. our philosophy and the reason for this is just to have a podcast about pen making um, for makers, for customers, for anybody that's interested. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of different topics we're going to talk about, you know. Here and there, a lot of pen making stuff. We're going to talk about the tooling um, processes. What are some other things? Uh, materials, you know, and you know, we don't cast anything, but talking about casters, leather making, anything kind of related to that pen pen realm, I guess you would say. <laughs> it is a realm, isn't it? Never there's ending. Many, it's, it's it's there's there's kind of different it's, kingdoms. It's a kingdom, you know? yet it's a village at the same time. Right, right, right. And, and you know, it seems like there's so many different things going on in the pin community with the corporate stuff, you know, the mass produced stuff. Then you have the independent world and then yeah. you have the accessories world. And oh, my God, um, what kind of a <laughs> rabbit hole is it that you can go into when you get into the accessories? Good Lord. Luckily, I'm pretty much a minimalist on that. So, yeah, I don't have that same problem. I'm I'm a maximalist, if that's a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a I have a, a pen problem and whatnot. So, yeah, we're going to try to be here every two weeks. Uh, we're going to record typically every other Sunday, and we'd like to be published by Wednesday or so every week. So you can go ahead and start watching for that. Hopefully going to get in all of the major arenas there and the, uh, where podcasts are available. Don't know exactly. You know, we got to try to I think with a couple of the different places we have to submit it and let it go through the process and be it, and get it approved and all of that stuff. So uh, we will be posting to our Instagram uh, profile, which is uh, the pin turns over on Instagram, and we'll let everybody know where they're going to be available. Mostly. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, every other week we're going to try to switch it up a little bit. Uh, the first episode of the month, if it works out that way, is typically going to be Jason and I uh, covering some topics on pen making. Uh, we're going to entertain some, I think we were talking about, what, some uh, listener questions as well, right? Suggestions for topics? Yeah, I think it'd be great, you know, the little bit we've been doing on social media lately. Get a lot of good questions from uh, people both on the maker side and even the collector side. And I think it, it would be a great idea to open it up to the listeners. Uh, if you guys have a topic that you want to understand more of, uh, even if we don't know the answers, we'll figure it out and uh, maybe don't make it. On or the show. we'll just make something up. I mean, you know, we can always yeah. just, <laughs> we can always just make something up on the spot and say, you know, here you go. But yeah. And, and that's one of the things that we'll just add it to Wikipedia. Exactly. And, uh, It'll it'll be true. It'll be good. Right. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't lie. Is that the way it works? Right. Uh, so, yeah. Listener questions. Um, also, uh, questions from other pen makers as well. Things that they mm-hmm. might want to know. If you're a new uh, burgeoning pen maker, something like that, uh, we're always here to reach out. And that's one of the reasons that we, we love this community so much. Is that you know when when both of us were starting up and getting into into especially the kitless bespoke type pens. It's great to have somebody to reach out to that that knows an answer or can give a suggestion, you know, and and Lord knows I needed that when I was first starting yeah. out, right? And that's another thing we want this podcast to be as a resource for both makers um, and as well as as, as customers, uh, enthusiasts as well. And I, th- I do want to mention maybe when we talked about the website, I think being able to look at... Um, yeah, we'll have a website where these will all be posted and hope to maybe kind of down the road as we get going, have like resources to be able. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm thinking like a page that has just links to every pin maker mm-hmm. we can find, every leather maker that has something to do with it, every accessory producer, all that good stuff. Links there in case, a, you know, if a customer is looking for some information on a pin maker, if they're looking for a new pin, or if they're looking for accessories or anything, we'd like to be kind of a one-stop shop. There's 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 a couple of websites out there that have a few links on them, but I'd like to have a very comprehensive list, if we can, um, 
for for everything pen maker, everything to be evolving list. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, for it sure. will be current, constantly and currently evolving. Uh, there's always some new people popping up on the on the radar, the pen making radar, at least. Uh, so yeah, so that's what we're about. Uh, we want to be there for you guys and, and folks, I should say, um, for questions and anything that you would like to know. We also, we're going to have an email. We have, we kind of, we have an email address. It, it actually exists. It's, uh, the pen turns at gmail.com. If you have a question or if you'd like to suggest a topic or anything like that, or just say, Hey, we like you guys, you guys are doing a okay job. Uh, send us an email there. You can address it to either one of us at the pen turns at gmail.com. So uh, let's talk about some of the topics that we can expect to talk about here on the show. I, you know, you mentioned materials. Materials are a topic that comes up quite often, especially with the makers yeah. and uh, customer questions. I had a customer last week trying to pick out a primary manipulation blank and saying, you know, those two right there, I think they're pretty cool. And, you know, there's always some caveats and things like that. So it'd be great to have. Uh, we're going to talk about materials probably yeah. often. Uh, as new materials come out, you know, you've got some of the makers, some of the casters that have their kind of staple uh, materials that they produce quite often. And then some people that uh, hybrid blanks and, and different things like that. So we'd like to talk about all of that stuff. Um, what else, Jason? Uh, tooling. Tooling, I think, is a big one because um, I, you know, I've had a lot of uh, people that follow me on social media. You're looking at. Oh, I want to get into this too. And what do I need? And there's, there's a lot of different sources that say a lot of different things. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to be able to have that kind of knowledge beforehand, knowing what you're getting into because people think, Oh, I'm just going to get some tools and start making this. And like, no, nah, it's, it's a pretty big investment. I mean, and the, the cool thing is there's any number of different avenues you can do. Um, True. You know, and we'll get into this later on in the show, but, you know, I, I'm more all hand tools. Uh, Brad uses a metal lathe and hand tools. And then it, we know several other makers that go full computerized CNC. And and you get a different product out of each one of them. And if you've got the budget for the CNC and that's what you love, the computer side, great, go for that. Or if you don't have that. Yeah, I don't have that kind of a. Yeah, no. me neither. No. <laughs> I don't have that patience either. I'd rather oh, no. I have more patience to do it by hand than to deal with a computer that's going to fight me the whole way. Very much um, so. Very much so. So, but there's there's all different levels you can get into. So I think the tooling's going to be cool. Um, and we've I know we've both talked about that a little bit here and there on our Instagrams and stuff like that. And I think here's going to be a great time uh, spot to to kind of broadcast that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, some of the theory I've, I've always, you know, I like talking about the theory behind making the pens. Like, how do we yeah. design things? Um, you know what what process we use for inspiration? Like one of my one of my inspirations. I, if I have a customer that says, "Hey, you get some artistic license with designing this one," I just kind of go out to my shop and I stare at my blanks for like forty five <laughs> minutes, and either something will jump out of me or I have to take the night off and come back and stare yeah. at them again. Yeah. And, you know, and so there's a lot of that kind of process that goes into it. And every pen maker has a different process. And I think that's one of the great things about bringing folks on to interview too, is that we can get everybody's different perspectives and don't worry, don't worry makers. We're not going to be like begging you for secrets or anything like that. <laughs> that's um, entirely up to you. Yeah. This is not R and D for the mythic pen company and Jason Neal pen no. works. This is, this is an information. Cause we thing share our secrets too. So we're not right. I mean, to... we, and that's, that's another, another great thing about the community. We don't is, have secrets, I guess that's a better term. We don't yeah. Have you know, there's some proprietary things here and there that, it, but you yeah. know, and that's one of the things about the makers sharing uh, information with each other is that we typically don't ask. It, there's kind of a line that you don't cross. There's a mutual respect there where if you know something is proprietary or something that they have staked their reputation and their business on, that's off limits. Yeah. Uh, but as far as production, like what drill bit do you use here? Or how deep do you drill your cap or whatever? Those are questions that that usually will bring a response and it's quick. Oh, a nine. Yeah. Okay, done. Uh, not very protected information. So, you know, that's one of the biggest things. Topics when we have a, another pin maker on to interview, you're going to talk about, you know, their process, their inspiration, where they came from, uh, how they came up in the business and and things like that. Speaking of that. It's story time. 
Story time with Brad and Jason. Right, I know. Pull up a chair. Here we are. Um, you know, I should light a fire in the fire. You know, if I had a fireplace behind me, put on a cozy sweater, sit down with a cup of coffee. Uh, we'll get a track going in the background and fire crackling. <laughs> that would be great. I think PBS used to have. I forget what it was called. PBS back in the day had some show like that. Um, with uh, oh gosh. Why? Why did I forget his name? Darth it's because Vader. you tried to think about it. That's I why. guess so. Um, oh, James Earl Jones. Yes, huh? he did some show, and he would talk and do the story, and it's very nice. And I'm not going to imitate his voice, but um, they even had like his little corner. It was like night times, like you're supposed to go to bed listening to him read books and stuff, and like anyway. I could see that would be soothing if you're trying to go to you know. Trying to go to sleep, and, uh, you know. The catch is like, you're gonna watch TV while you go to sleep when you're like ten. Like, true. At least when I was ten, we didn't do that. I don't know if you. Oh, did that when now, I was I ten, I didn't have a television I could watch <laughs> in bed. I, we had the one out, you know, out in the living room. And now, I guess they're watching their phones when they're, you know, now that we're in the age of instant right. connectivity and global connectivity. So back to story Squirrel. time. Um, you know. Yeah, squirrel chase it. Uh, you know, we we have both told the story of how we got in into pen making and how we started our businesses in in a couple of different mm-hmm. places here and there. But we wanted to go ahead and talk about just while we're here together, talk about a little bit about it and where we came from, how we started our businesses. And uh, so, Jason, uh, let everybody know uh, when did you get started? How did you get started? And, sure. and you know. What do you love about it? What are you know? What are the loves? What are the the? I don't want to call them hatred, the hates, but um, mild dislikes, you know, if you will. Yeah. So long, long ago. No, I'm just kidding. In the before time. Uh, <laughs> in the before time. Um, no. So my journey goes back uh, this year, actually twenty years. Wow. Um, so it's year two thousand, and we. Um, I'm a native Texan, but I, I visited Pennsylvania for about 10 years and, um, we lived up there for my dad's job and they, my grandparents would come up and visit my grandfather on my mom's side. He taught industrial technology for their high school, which was like drafting and woodworking, photography, all of that stuff. You don't get that much anymore, do you? No, they, I mean, you might get AutoCAD in high school and that's about it, but these are guys like building tables and you know designing bridges and testing them and stuff in in a little wood shop there and um so he they would come up and visit every year and uh, that one year he he brought all these tools up we'd never seen before you know he brought a lathe he brought a drill press he brought all these gouges and things like that and he said hey i you know i got into making pins i learned how to do this um, his, his co-teacher, Mr. Birchhausen was his name, got him into it. And he says, I want to show you guys how to do this. So, um, got my start on kit pins as they're called in our, in our realm. And, uh, literally, I kid you not set up on the back tailgate of his, of his Dodge truck. It's a big old truck. He always had big trucks and he set it up and, and this is in Pennsylvania Christmas, Pennsylvania. It's like freaking 32 degrees out there, but we're all bundled up making pens on the, on the back of his truck and got really into it. Just, I mean, they're basic. They're, they're called slimline pens, super simple, easy pens to make and just got real into it and loved it. And so, um, I was like a couple days before Christmas and then Christmas day, yeah, we go in and, and he bought all the equipment for us. He'd gone out that day before or whatever, bought us a lathe, bought us a drill press, all that stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, there's, there's pictures out there on the internet of us, um, making pens in our living room and all set up and everything. Yeah. How were you at that time? Were you, were you into making things? I mean, were you into tools Not really, and, and no. any of that, or did that kind of steer you a little bit or, you know, that interaction? Um, it just kind of, it kind of steered me from there. Cause I really gosh, at that point, I didn't even know I wanted to be an architect. So it was like, I don't think I was really into making anything. I was actually into BMXing. That's what I did. So BMXing and piano playing, which don't mix when you're banging yourself up all the time on your bike. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Many of stories go with that one. But um, but yeah, so just really got into it. And from that point on, uh, we would just 
as we got money, we would buy new kits and make new things and they'd go in a drawer or whatever. And just So it was all about just making them and just having fun, trying out different wood, things like that. Um, so fast forward, um, gosh, I guess 16 years from there, uh, we messed around with the pen making off and on as we moved in Pennsylvania, then moved back to Texas, had the stuff, the tools in my parents' garage and uh, eventually for myself, um, I have two brothers, they were doing it too, but for myself, I uh, got married, was in school doing architecture and just had no time for anything. And so, uh, just kind of, they sat there and never got used for quite a while. And in 2016, uh, I'd finished school, was working full time and got tired of work <laughs> and needed a distraction. Yeah. And I was like, well, gosh, I got all these tools just laying around. So I picked them up, took them to my house, and just started messing around with them. Um, started making things, had no intention of selling them. It was purely just I want to get back into turning. And I uh, had a love of photography and thought, well, shoot, get on Instagram, just share the photos. Who knows what happens? Um, so that started a wildfire because uh, suddenly um, I discovered people actually buy these things. Um, I was not into pens outside of making them. I didn't even know, you know, quite frankly, that fountain pens still existed. <laughs> I'm right there um, with you. Had no idea. And so suddenly I was like, well, gosh, I could, I could actually start selling these things and not, not necessarily as a business, but to keep funding, keeping to make them, you know. And uh, I took off pretty quick, started making some international sales. And this was just with the kit pens, wood pens, nothing fancy. Um and so I did that for about two years, so from 16 to 18, and then really started losing interest in the kit pins. There were a lot of quality control issues that I couldn't help, um, just some of the finishes and things like that, and started seeing this movement, uh, which as I've come to find out, um, following other makers and listening to other podcasts, um, that right around 18 was when everybody else was doing it too. <laughs> Um, a lot of these big makers you see out there, a lot of them were just starting out, you know, even a few years ago. And so I started following and just kind of in the background, I'm like, man, I could never do that, but man, it's cool to watch. Starting to see that, you know, some people out there started putting out, hey, here's all the tools you need. And I started looking at that price and I was like, well, gosh, I could really do this. You know, it's going to take some work, but slowly started pulling together resources, pulling the tools together and finally got it to where... I could uh, start doing this and quickly learned that I was not going to be making a beautiful pin straight off the bat. <laughs> right. Uh, the first few um, dozen probably are still in a box of misfits that um, didn't turn out. I broke or you know, any number of things went wrong. And um, <clears throat> so struggled through that for a while and really probably in the last year have really started nailing down the designs and finishes and my own process in my shop and, uh, you know, getting a real website together and <laughs> taking the marketing and Instagram, all of that seriously. And uh, actually, so this next year will be five years that I've actually been running my shop. Um, so it's kind of crazy to think about. And then two of those, I guess two and a half, three years of that is doing the fountain pens. So I pretty quickly... Um, I guess last year went straight into full fountain pens, not doing any more kit pens and, um, kind of cold Turkey on that. Cause I got tired of it. That's a leap. And plus too. the creativity, you're pretty limited. You have some cool kits out there and a lot of stuff, um, that's super high end, but you're still just putting those little blanks together and that's all you can do. You know, it's got to fit on either end, you know, the, the size of the hardware and the, the, um, fittings and stuff. And beyond that, I did some segmenting, which was like layering wood together and doing cool designs like that. Um, it's a lot of work. And wood is much harder to finish and get a, a good, clean, consistent finish off. And I just got kind of worn out from it. Is that because you, you have to add something to it to finish it? Like, you know, CA glue or something like that? You have to build it up rather than just, just finishing the material? Yeah, you got to build it up. Like, I use CA for maybe like a month in... Uh, that really, I, I lost interest in that because it's pretty toxic and 
you can I ruined several pins because if you if you don't let them air out after you've done that, they fog up the finish because of the off gassing oh, yeah. from the from the super glue or the cyanacrylate if you want to get technical. <laughs> we can be technical. It's okay. Right, exactly. We'll just get a lot of questions. <laughs> Probably. Can you spell acrylate for me? You know, that yeah. those kind of no. things. Super califragilistic. Right. But I started using natural finishes on the wood, but it just you know, wood is wood. You can get some cool stuff if you got like a Coca Bolo or Bacote or something that but even then you're like, Okay, it's the same thing, the kit's the same thing and um they actually took in my opinion, took a lot longer to make than the uh, bespoke pens or kitless pens because you had to glue up the tubes you had to do all that stuff let it sit overnight and come back and at the time i was doing that i could only get to my shop on the weekends uh, because i had it in a a remote site and that was kind of frustrating because then you you go there and you spend all day out in the heat (laughs) because i had no air conditioning out in the heat and all you did was glue up some blanks and you're like well this sucks (laughs) then you gotta wait a whole week to even mess with it again and (laughs) Um, so yeah, I've been doing the fountain pens full time now and have several models that, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with and have been focusing on. And, um, I think that's kind of it. It's a good story. I, uh, you know, I like the fact that, you know, there was a family connection there at, at, at one point it kind of, uh, cements the, the need or the, the want or the yearning, I guess, in, in your mind and wanting to continue that. That's really, that's really awesome. And I, you know, I should actually, is kind of the most important part of all that. Uh, the namesake of both my shop and one of the uh, flagship model I have is from my grandfather. So um, I, I get a lot of people that think my last name is Neil. It's not. So the Jason is myself, obviously, and Neil is my grandfather. So I wanted to have him tied into that. Uh, so the Jason Neil pen works. And then the uh, kind of my flagship model, as I call it, the Tucker model, um, that's his name, last name. So wanted to have him in there. And uh, every time I've showed him. So, it's a great tribute. Yeah. yeah. I actually, the first, one of the first Tucker models I made, I gave to him. And he just, to this day, is just like, I didn't even know you could make these things on a lathe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's it's been really cool. It's been a great journey, and I never thought I'd be doing this full time, part time. You know, uh, it's a yeah. it's a full time. I don't want to call it a job because I don't feel like it's a job job. But you know, it's full time work that I'm doing. But I've only got part time uh, mm-hmm. to give it. <laughs> yeah, it takes up you know thirty yeah. percent of your time, one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of thing. And you know that's a great, uh, great way to get into it. Mine was quite different. Than but I that. see, I like, and I won't spoil it. I'll let you tell it. But I like, I like your story as well because you had, you know, I think almost no experience in this. Zero. And it was pure. Literally, I'm just going to jump yeah. in the deep end and go. <laughs> and I think that's good for the, the the people listening that would like to do it, but they're like, well, I've never used a tool. I can't even use a hammer. Or I can't do this. Yeah. Like you don't. You don't have to. You can learn into it and 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 get there. So well, yeah, and you know, I I'd been, I grew up. My dad was a fireman and a paramedic for years and years and years. And so you know, if if anybody's grown up with a parent that's a, uh, firefighter or something like that, you know, he would he would work a twenty four hour shift and then he'd have two days off. Well, in those two days off, he was a plumber, he was an electrician, a roofer, a tile guy, oh, uh, you know, whatever you know, whatever he could do. And it took me along with him a lot of, a lot during the summer, you know, and I learned how to build houses. I learned how to do all kinds of stuff. So I kind of got that, um, working with my hands, kind of making in my blood a little bit, uh, you know, and I've always been, and and a lot of people use this term as a kind of derogatory, but I've always been a nerd. I, you know, I'm, you know, we like to use that word because we can smell our own, you know, we know, you know, that kind of thing. So (laughs) everyone's a nerd at something though. They just want to exactly. Some people are nerds are like building cars, it, it, but it's just not a traditionally nerdy kind of thing. So I've always liked sketching mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things. I've, I've never been great at it. Uh, I kind of I try. <laughs> um, and so going through the years, uh, my uh, my grandfather was actually a uh, he was a salesman. He was a uh, uh, he worked for a blueprint. It was a I can't remember that something blueprint out oh, of wow. Atlanta. Uh, and he used to go door to door to businesses selling drafting supplies. <laughs> That's awesome. 
<laughs> you know, back before you could order them online, yeah. you know, he would actually make rounds and once a month stop by, you know, whatever architect was there in town and say, hey, do you need paper? Do you need compasses? Do you need slide rules? He's a snap-on guy for uh, architects. Exactly. <laughs> so he had all of this stuff at his at his house growing up, and I would see slide rules and and compasses and lead holders, not pencils, lead holders, yep. you yep. know, those kind of things growing up. And I was always fascinated by him. And then my uncle was a draftsman for the Department of Transportation down here. And uh, he had a giant drafting table in his in his room. Oh, wow. It was the cable control, yep. cable controlled, you know, and it was just gorgeous, right? So I always liked doing that. Then I got on to into high school. And even when I was taking notes in class, I liked to have a nicer mm-hmm. pen, even if it was just a something nicer than a pen, you know. <laughs> um, and, and back when I was in school, and mechanical pencils were a thing for me back then, too. Um, there was the one, I can't remember, it was the clicker or something, the clicker. It had the little black button on the side that you clicked. And that was oh, the I one that, I don't know that, one. that everybody was after. I think wow. it was a Pentel or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But So then I took some drafting classes. Uh, I think I took two years of it in high school. And this was in the late 90s. So, you know, they, AutoCAD was around, and, and, and mm-hmm. you would learn a little bit about it. But most of our class was drawing. And I really, really enjoyed technical drawing and mechanical drawing, having to, you know, recreate the hook that you would put on the end of the cable, you know, in scale and everything. (laughs) And, you know, we got to do some actually we got to design a wing of a church that that was there in town. They were trying to build something new. So it was like a class project and we all got to work on it and we got to design our own little version of it. And so I took that with me and then always like nice pens I had I had an old pilot varsity like when I was in like yeah. a senior in high school. But I was like, what is this thing? It leaks all <laughs> over the place. It it makes it looks terrible on this paper, you know. Leaks so, through the paper. Right. And so I it was like a fine line sharpie almost at the time. And oh, wow. and I was like, no, whatever. So fast forward years and years, I started watching these videos with Brian Goulet. I mean, that's I stumbled on them on yep. YouTube. Yeah. Um and I started watching some of those. Shout out to Brian. Thanks for y- your help. Um, and, and he started out as a pen maker too, actually. Exactly. So I I thought at this point, you know, I'd had a I'd had a nice pair of sunglasses for a few few years that I haven't lost or broken. I had a nice watch <laughs> that I hadn't broken. You know, I figured I was adult enough to try this fountain pen thing out again. <laughs> so I must have ordered like a couple hundred bucks worth of stuff from him, but it was Holy all cow. like. Well, it was all like Twisby Ecos. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the uh, preppies and, yep. and whatnot. And, and I think it, one of the Ecos was probably the most expensive pen I ordered. And I needed some paper and this and that. And so I got into it. And I mean, I, I both feet jumped in the deep end, even though the sharks were swimming around, yep, yep. Uh, you know, damn the torpedoes <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and so I went to the Atlanta Pen Show in 2018. Um, and was walking around and and I'd been on Instagram and I'd seen some of the maker pins here and there, but I didn't really understand what they were, mm-hmm. you know, cause everything up to that point in my life was corporate mass produced kind of stuff. Yep. So Mont Blanc and everything walking her and, and, and from Instagram, I, I, I started noticing, you know, who was posting more and who seemed to be making more. And I got, you know, right. I didn't get deep into it because I was only finding, like I found Jonathan Brooks. I found Ryan Crusack. I found Sean Newton. So, you know, and, uh, I hadn't really dug into it. So I was walking around the show and I went over to Jonathan's table and, uh, Hey, Matthew was there with him. Uh, and I had my daughter and she, you know, running around who's going to, you know, she would just run up to the table and be like, Hey, how are you? You know, that kind of thing. Right. So <laughs> instant introductions, you know, uh, you don't just walk up to Jonathan Brooks, <laughs> right. You know, who does that? Um, and so, you know, I stood there and talked to him for a few minutes about pins and this and then I had gone to him to buy a bottle of his Carolina blue ink, the Robert Oster Carolina yeah. blue. Yep. Um, and started looking at the pins and there was this one pin on the table that just spoke to me. It was a faux Tibaldi. Uh, I think it was his, I want to say the Aiken model, the rounded uh, shaped model and right. ended up picking that up. And, you know, and then I walked around and I was like, holy, what, what is this? You know, what is this world? Uh, yeah. Went by Ryan Crusack's table. I didn't get a chance to talk to Ryan very much because he was, he was swamped. You know, Jonathan was swamped. He had very little pin, you know, very few pins left. Uh, so talked to a few of the folks and 
I've been woodworking or attempting to woodwork for a few years before this, making cabinets and boxes. I, I really got into making boxes, upcycling cigar boxes into jewelry boxes and oh, things nice. like that. And I still want to do that a little bit and try to add it to my business um, here and there. But it just wasn't working. It wasn't, you know, like I would get a box finished. And I'd be like, awesome. This is great. But I didn't just want to make another one immediately, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I wonder if I could make a pen. It wasn't something that was like, well, if he could do it, I can do it by any means. But I was wondering, like, do you think – and I sat down and I thought about it for like two weeks. Just what on earth? And so I finally decided, you know, I want to try this. So I looked up like lathes and tools and I was like, God, it's expensive. And, <laughs> and Little did you know. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't even – I'm not going to – I'm not going to release the information about how deep I am now, but, you know, so I, I, I reached out to Jonathan, uh, you know, because I saw, you know, I, I had his pen, I really liked the craftsmanship of it and everything like that. And I reached out and I did not expect him to return a message at all. You know, he's a very popular pen maker and, and, you know, sought after and things like that. And I got a message back. I started asking some questions and, and at some point I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but he was like, Hey, come on up to the house one day. And I was like, Really? Are you me? <laughs> Little old me, you know, kind of thing. Went up, hung out with him. Jonathan is a super nice guy, um, becoming one of my best friends, yeah. um, you know, and we went up there. He said, yeah, you know, and he, he brought out a piece of material and he's like, here you go. And I was like, what do you want me to do with this? He said, let's make a pen. <laughs> so, you know, we went through the steps and we talked here and there. And, you know, I should have written everything down, too, because you know, we made a pen and I was like stoked, you know, and he's like, here's some, here's some materials to practice on and things like that. You know, here's one with a bunch of bubbles in it. You can cut up kind of thing. Um, I bought a few pieces yeah, of material yeah. and I got like a, a tool list together of what I would need. And I started looking into it and then I was like, gosh, this is going to be expensive. How am I going to do this? So did the Kickstarter Kickstarter was successful. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten you did um, that. And it, I did the Kickstarter for like four grand, I think it was, because I totaled up just the basic amount of tools that I would need to just turn a blank. Not to get into what we've been doing lately, but, <laughs> you know, it was fulfilled December 1st of last year. Yeah, I sold my first wow. pin. You're coming up on the year. Yeah, and I've been so fortunate. And thank you to everybody who's listening, all my customers out there. And thanks to all the other makers out there for helping me get where I am today. But I think I'm up over 370, 380 pins since Holy since cow. December. Wow. And, you know, I like to push myself too hard, and I like to overextend myself, yeah. which is great, <laughs> you know. But it will spank you every once in a while. Yep. So that's when, I, that's when I got a little bit behind. But, yeah, since then, I think, you know, and I, I don't – I don't want it to sound braggy or anything like that, but I think I just kind of have a natural intuition mm -hmm. when it comes to making, when it comes to the using the lathes and the the precision that goes into it and the design work. I think I've actually found something that I had a chip in my brain yeah. that I just hadn't turned on yet. So yep. that's that's my story, you know. I mean, I'm way more than four thousand dollars into it now, <laughs> uh, you know. I think I think we've probably bought more than four thousand dollars worth of taps and dyes. I at think this point. so. Um, I stopped counting. So, yeah, it, it'll make you sick if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, but 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 not to discourage any burgeoning would be pen makers out there. You can get into this business for you know much less than yeah. than what we've put into it because we. I know we've tried to be bigger producers and right. we've tried to move on into and break into the market and you always find something else that you need and something else that you need, but you can do this at a level that's not going to cost you more than what your house cost when you <laughs> purchased it, you know? Um, and you know, it was, it was great. I, I really enjoy it. It's something that's fun. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it's not fun, don't right. do it. I don't want it to become work. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to keep myself small. You know, I, I, I love the business. I love getting the orders and all of that stuff, but I want to keep it on the smaller side so I can, I always want to enjoy this. I don't ever want to be like, Ugh, I got to go make pens now, you know, like a job. Yeah. Um, but again, it is a part-time or full-time part-time like yours is, you know, we, yep. we both do have the nine to five that we have to report to, you know, weekdays and all that sort of thing. So, but, you know, like I say, I've enjoyed every second of it, even the frustrating, like you smash a blank and you're just like, ah, 
you know, but, <laughs> but then you get to make another one. So, you know, you're still getting to do what you love to do. And that's my story. And I might stick to it. I don't know. I might just change some of it for my comic narrative at some point, just to make it more interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, yeah. About our stories, what lathes do you enjoy using? What lathe do you use? I'd like to get that out there. So I am similar to being a part of the Apple cult. Um, I am on the jet lathe cult. Okay. Um, so my first lathe that I got is what I actually started with on this, and it did finally kick the bucket this year, unfortunately. Uh, luckily, not permanently. It's just in purgatory, I guess. Um, but it's it was, gosh, 20 years old, and the motor finally went out. But it was a jet mini lathe. Yeah, but that's some good quality, though. Oh, my I mean, goodness, if it lasted yeah. that long. 20 years, and I, I beat the crap out of it. Like, I did not take care of it. I might have cleaned and oiled it every now and then, but definitely never did anything beyond that. Not um, like we do now. Right? I, I actually remember using it to, like, hammer things. So I'd put things on the ways, and uh, and the ways are the basically, like, the channels that the, um, the different components, the tailstock and stuff, slide on. I was like, oh, I need something hard to hammer on. Oh, this will work. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and you're leaving marks all over right. it. And I didn't realize that that's really bad. You don't do that because that needs to be as clean and smooth as possible. Otherwise, you have problems. Um, so it lasted 20 years with the worst possible kind of treatment um, ever. And uh, luckily, I, I think I'm going to revive it as a, as a dedicated buffing machine. Awesome. Just needs a new motor. Which cost as much as a as a buffing machine, so I might as well just do that. Um, so I upgraded to a so that was a mini lathe, which I think it's like a oh gosh, I don't remember is it like in a twelve inch or fourteen inch bed? That, so you can you can turn like a twelve inch mm-hmm. piece of material. Um, so I upgraded to a variable speed jet midi lathe. It's not a full size lathe, so it's still the middle middle ground size, but it holds I think a twenty inch piece of material i think it's got a 20 inch bed and then like a 12 inch swing or something like that so you could make a railroad spike pretty much if you really wanted to um so yeah those those are the ones um for what i do with the manual turning um haven't decided metal lathe yet what i want to do but i i'm hoping fingers crossed yeah that's next year hopefully and that's one of the great things I think about you and I both hosting this together is that we both started in different ways yeah. um, where you started with a jet wood turning, traditionally wood turning lathe. Yeah, traditionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I jumped into the crazy bin. And, <laughs> you know, I, I started out with a little machine shop. I think it was a 5200 uh, mini metal lathe. And uh, I would like to do a full review of my opinions of it at some point during the podcast. Um so it's, you know, it's a metal lathe. I think it's like a 12, but it might be maybe a 16 inch bed. I think at the, 16, at the most, I can't, I can't remember. remember. Um, and it's, it's about on its last leg. It, <laughs> it, I've made a lot of pins on well, it. And 300 I don't, something, 400 something. Pins. Yeah. That's I just don't think intense. it's made. It's meant for that kind of production level. So I was hand turning on the metal lathe, which don't do that. I don't <laughs> people. I don't care if you go out and just buy the cheapest pawn shop wood lathe you can find buy a harbor freight or something yeah buy one get a way to make it true and then turn on that do not put a tool rest in a tool holder on a metal lathe because it's a pain and i did that for months and months like the first hundred pins i made probably were made on you know fully on that lathe i learned my lesson and you know i bought a harbor freight lathe didn't like it it wasn't true could not get the centers to meet up um, oh, and wow. then I started asking around, I, I asked Jonathan, I think I talked to you. I talked to several different people about what lathes you have and somebody turned me on to the Riken, um, lathe. Mm-hmm. So I've got a Riken MIDI lathe. This is the 220 VSR, the variable speed. And I love yep. that lathe. It is just, That's a it good runs one. true and it runs pretty true to speed and all of that. And if I could, if I could get my internal diameters to match my uh, mandrels a little bit better, I wouldn't get as much chatter, but. So now that Harbor Freight lathe is a buffing <laughs> lathe, but I haven't used it yet. I've been using one of those tiny little Penn State buffing machines with the two wheels. So I use three <laughs> rubbing compounds on two wheels. One wheel has Tripoli oh and white diamond, and the other one is just for blue diamond. So, And I've got two grooves in one wheel to, to seat the pin in. 
I'm waiting on my new shop upstairs to get finished. And up there, the piece de resistance is sitting still on the hand trucks that I that I barely got up the stairs with. Well, I did loosen the straps, you know, the tie down straps. I didn't want anything to happen with that. But I have a Weiss, um, like a 30 inch bed um, metal lathe that I actually picked up from Carl Fisher. That's a good rafters you get up there. Oh, right. 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 (laughs) Um, Fisher of Pins, uh, Carl Fisher sold that one to me. And, you know, I've got the stand for it and everything. And I got it. I have to go buy an engine hoist to put it on the stand because I think weighs like 350 pounds or so. But I'm dying to use it. It's got a DRO, too. It's just perfect, like, computer DRO, yeah. but it's not installed. And that's another thing I have to do is I have to install the DROs, DRO. So I have to drill it and tap it and make sure it's all that good stuff. But I can't wait to use it because my, my metal lathe. Which, for those of you who don't know, DRO is digital readout. And those are your best Yeah, friends. my current metal lathe just has a little one that would be, like, on a, on an inexpensive pair of, like, calipers that you measure with. And it's, it's very yep. inaccurate. But this one is a computerized. It has magnetic... Uh, slides that 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 slide with the different parts of the lathe, and it's incredibly oh, wow. accurate. I can't wait. Literally, I, and I was talking to Sean um, Allot about it. You know, and he's he he's got a similar DRO to the one I have, and and literally, I can take a I can take a cut off of the blank, mic it with the with the micrometer, put the measurement into the DRO, and then just keep turning, and it'll tell me where I am. And I just go, okay, I want to be fifteen, and I just keep cut until it, the DRO says fifteen, and I'm oh my done. Gosh cannot wait for that but super jealous <laughs> yeah so that's what i'm doing um i'm working on a sanding machine i want to get one that i can sit down and sand with uh yeah. sean from london pinco put one up like a dueling sanding machine that he put up oh, yeah, he it, built it, one i think he i think he got it from a it's actually a place down here in georgia that sells billiard supplies and and cue, oh yeah yeah pool cue mm-hmm. turning and it's it's like a hybrid pieces and parts from a from a cool uh a cool uh pool cue lathe put together oh, wow. and i just want to do that where i can kick back in like a recliner and sand pens instead of having to stand there and get <laughs> get the hunchback going you know exactly hey look at old quasimodo over there he's polishing a pen today you know <laughs> so you know those are our stories that's what we you know that's what we do we do it every yeah. free second that we have it seems yeah you know we don't have a whole lot of my wife seconds. asked me my wife's like so what are you doing this weekend like, well i guess just working in my shop what do it's I do like every this. weekend? Yeah. Exactly. Pinky in the brain style, right? <laughs> what do we do every night? We make pins, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's our stories. You know, we want to hear some of your stories as well. Like I say, we're mm-hmm. going to welcome customer or customer. I'm in the customer vein. This is the first episode. We got to get used to these terms that we have to use. Listeners, listeners. listeners that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, they could be customers, too. Very true. Uh, you know, comments, questions, uh, anything like that, suggestions, we're, we're yeah. open. Um, we're first-time podcasters. Uh, I have very, very little experience doing podcasting. I was on the radio back in college, you know, the college radio where you play like an angst-ridden song and there's like 30 seconds of dead air and then you're like, <laughs> oh, there's a meeting on the quad tomorrow at three, you know, Stephen Rice style. <laughs> So, you know, that's my experience. So we're, we're learning as we go. Uh, we will sure. get better. And that's one of the reasons we want to do the sponsorships and the Patreon at some point is so we can get, you know, we can upgrade equipment. We can get better audio quality. We can do these things. Um, so stay tuned for those announcements of things like that, too. Yep, yep. So, wow, this episode went quickly. We've already been recording really for did. like 45 minutes. I was like, man. And we were worried. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? You know? So uh, what are we going to do on the next episode? Who are we interviewing for our first interview first episode? First interview is the legend himself, Ryan Krusak. Not only is a legend, his pen is named the legend. That's true. It? It, it's like I planned that, but I didn't. I have one. Love it. He's a great maker. Super nice yeah. guy, too. He's one of the first makers that I've followed on Instagram uh, that I started watching. Like, wait, I could probably do this and just seeing the work. Um, I can't. Do uh, I, I don't think I could do what he can do specifically. I that's can't do that. Pretty epic. Uh, the materials he works with, and just the um, the scrimshaw work and the painting he can do, it's just mind blowing. Um, and the stonework, the labradorite. Oh my, oh my goodness! Those pens are just absolutely amazing. Ryan is truly an artist. We're going to get into a deep conversation with Ryan yeah. on our next episode about why he does what he does, how he does what he does, what inspires him, all that good stuff. And can't wait for that. That's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, let's see how to round out this first episode. Let's talk about you know we were discussing it earlier. Our guilty pleasures. Confessions of a pen maker. 
we talked about, you know, what are our guilty pleasures? You know, we're makers, but we both actually use fountain pens. I'm an enthusiast. I'm a collector. And I collect mainly maker yeah. pens at this point until I found a couple kind of mass produced ones that I kind of fell in. I think I fell into the same rabbit hole that you recently fell into. Yeah. I mean, you're probably going to be starting a Navy. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we should add, too, that there are some makers that don't even, I know there's a few that don't even use fountain pens. Yeah. So you don't have to be into using them to oh, enjoy making them. Variety, you know. But I think it's cool to be able to share what, as makers, what we're into and even maybe learn some new things from some of the listeners right on. out there. Yeah. If, you, if y'all have things, hey, you guys like this, you might enjoy this too and, and turn us onto some brands that maybe we didn't think about or you know, wouldn't give a second thought to, so... I'm down with that. Yeah. I definitely am. So what's your weekly confession? Oh, man. Well, it was my birthday. <laughs> you don't need to start it that way. It was my birthday <laughs> recently, and uh, my birthday month is October. And Mine, too. I, I know. It's, it's like crazy. It's like we're a podcast made in birth month. It was meant you to know? be. <laughs> um, so I, uh, my first mistake was joining FP Geeks, and... Yeah, um, they're wonderful yet terrible. Um, enabling Ooh. classifieds page, which um, I'm not into vintage pens, and a lot of them are vintage. But every now yeah. and then, you get some amazing deals that you just can't live without. So I went crazy, and let's see, what did I do? I have them? No, I don't have them all here. Um, so let's see, I, I got a platinum 3776 Nice. Right. So on. it's the clear. It's um, got a textured barrel with rose gold. It has got a, I never remember his name, but um, he's the Nibmeister for nibs.com. Um, I can't remember his name, so I might have to put that in the show notes. <laughs> um, yeah. I believe his name is Matt. Actually, I'm going to redact that because it's probably not. Anyway, it's a stub grind from... John Modishaw, is that is that who you're that thinking? That guy. But I got that one. And I haven't inked that one up yet because I've got too many others that I'm about to share. Um, I got a Sailor, my first Sailor Pro Gear in yellow. Uh, it's a beautiful yellow with rhodium trim. It has. Um, you can see that. One? I have to use a loop to be able to tell what nibs are in my Sailors. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. It's a medium fine, an MF, which is beautiful. Because um, I prefer finer nibs, so this is a nice blend. Because Japanese nibs are much finer than Western nibs, um, so got that. I got. I've wanted pretty much. Um, actually, I should have added that to my story. That'll be a story for next time. Uh, but I got a Lamy two thousand, which I've wanted ever since I got into this. Because um, long story short, uh, one of the architects I used to work with um, bought me my first Lamy All Star, which I still have. Nice, and that's what got me into fountain pens. Ultimately, that's the abridged version. But uh, Lamy <laughs> two thousand with a medium nib, which is amazing, writes perfectly. And then, and then what I just got recently, which was another FB Geeks um, splurge, is a Pilot Custom nine twelve, which. Um, I'm having trouble Great deciding player. if I like that more or the Sailor because their nibs are both amazing. And this one is a soft, I can't, I, I can read this one. It's a soft, fine, medium SFM. Um, and it's got some really cool flex. So that one I think is, is that a 14 carat? I think it's a 14K. So it's a 14 carat nib and then the Sailor is a 21. And I think the Lamy is an 18. Um, so those are my recent purchases in especially with the sailor and now the pilot i'm i try to find any excuse to write with them right you find the right pen you're gonna yeah, start writing exactly it just happens um mine mine started with a birthday kind of thing as well you know we're what three days apart here in the month of october yeah. with our birthdays <laughs> and and i had maker palooza for my birthday it was great um got a pen from i got one of your pens actually yeah. um I'm actually using it to take down show notes using some Texas black bat as a, uh, some noodlers, Texas black bat as a shout out to your uh, home <laughs> state there. What else? I got one from over at James at bone crusher, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a great Dupross blank. You use there. Chris up at butter knife, sent one down, um, got one in water. Lily Koi. I've been making water. Lily Koi pens forever. And I finally have one from Jonathan, hey, hey. uh, you know, that, that, uh, the great himself. writing pen. 
right? Um, and then the one I've been using, I've, I've been I've been using uh, quite a bit. Between yours, I actually keep yours because it's got it. The, the nib just writes so well, and it's comfortable to write with. I I, yeah. I, I like this size. Uh, you know, this this size of yours and giant pens are the ones that I like for some reason. I'm not a very big slim pen user. Um, like I cannot use a Pro Gear Slim. They are just too small. They're way yeah, too small. Yeah, I, uh, I have a Pilot Pereira that I bought on a whim because I didn't know any better, and I never use it because it's just too even even posted. It's too small. The oh, nib yeah. is amazing. I love the nib, but it's like my hand gets a cramp trying to hold it and write anything for longer than a couple seconds. So I, I just yeah, we have it. a couple of Pro Gear Slims, and I just they're too small. Just I love the Pro Gear. Uh, I've got two yeah. of them. I ordered one of the blacks with the rhodium, one of the black ones with the rhodium trim, and then the ion black with the, mm-hmm. the black mm-hmm. nib and everything. Love those pens. And you know, I've just been wearing yours, yours, and and one from Eric Sands over at Atelier Lusso. I've been wearing these two out. Um, I I like to keep them in a rotation, a couple of weeks here at a time. And right now, Eric's and yours are on my rotation. Uh, you know, I got one of the L14s from Ryan Crusack mm-hmm. a while back in Ebony, and good God, um, <laughs> I'm going to complain with him next time, next episode when we talk with him because he he made it too pretty. You know, I mean, right? it's just it's a gorgeous pen. So, and then my most recent guilty pleasure shout out to Mark Dwight and out in San Francisco. Holy crap! The pen koozie that he created is it was like he was thinking of me. Knowing that he was going to get my money, um, I ordered one of those, and I ordered multiple three-pin koozies to put inside the big koozie case. I think I have eleven pins in here right now. Like I said earlier, I roll deep, dude. Wow, I don't, you know, I, you know, what if I get stuck and I don't have ink to refill one of these? I can write for like three weeks and not have to worry about refilling anything. Exactly. But those are my current guilty pleasures. We probably need to wrap up. I'm looking at the timer here, and oh, man. If you're still listening, congratulations. You made it to the end of episode one. Thank you for dealing with us for this 50-some-odd <laughs> minutes it's been so far. But, yes, thank you very much for tuning in to the first episode, hopefully of many. Definitely. Many, many episodes talking about pen making. Uh, so for As the Pen Turns, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Again, I'm Brad. I'm Jason. And you guys have a great two weeks until we get the new next episode out there. Let's play some outro music and uh, let's go make some pens. See y'all. <laughs>